Welcome to Exploring Creativity. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and provide a community for creative people all over the world. On this podcast, we explore a variety of topics with a multifaceted group of creative people. We explore these topics in hopes of broadening your perspective and giving you the tools you need to do your very best work. Today I'm speaking with Ray Epstein. Ray is a recording artist and songwriter. Together we explored trusting the process, setting conditions for creativity, balancing relaxation with getting shit done, and so much more. It was a great conversation with a great friend, and I'm super excited for you to hear it. There she is. Hey! Hi. Michael Morgan. What's up, dude? What's up? Um, it's so great yeah. to see you. Hey, uh, so stoked. Let me just say this for a second to be on this with you and do this live because I feel like me and you really get into some great um, and all the time I'm like, I wish it was recorded. So here we are. Yeah. I hope this is the best conversation we've ever had. <laughs> not ever, not that we ever will have, but at least up until now. Up until this present moment. <laughs> the best. Well, it's great to see you. Um, always great to chat. I um, was putting together your list this morning of topics to talk about as uh, the way this has worked and will continue to work is that I pick very specific topics related to the guest on the show. I, there's 16 topics selected for you. Um, previous record was 13. So there's a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. I am right. ready to go. I'm so stoked. I got my workout today and I journaled. I'm like, I'm super with you. <laughs> you're in full routine. Full in ritual. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, so I'm going to read the topics. I want you to choose uh, after I read up wherever you want to start. Okay. So collaboration, environment, fear, feedback, identity, intention, intuition, limits, mental roadblocks, personal philosophy, practice, process, self-compassion, and self-esteem. Damn, that's okay. And if we don't if we don't go through all these today, we have to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I want to jump right into fear right off the bat. I want to. Okay. I want to just get into it. <laughs> okay, for Let's sure. Start there. Um, I was actually having this conversation with Ad last night, but I said something that was like, if you're not afraid of the voices inside of your head and like your inner whatever your consciousness or your 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 own personal fears then you won't be afraid of the voices that out, is outside of you so if you're mm -hmm. not voices inside of your head you won't be afraid of the voices outside of your head as a right. as a person i feel like when you become good like with whatever you're creating or whatever you're thinking and like taking that time to to process those thoughts and emotions like that totally works in the creative space because when you're creating, you have to go through all of those like pockets of things that flow in, whether it's an emotion or a thought. Mm -hmm. So when you become okay with all of the voices that go inside of your head and all of the mm -hmm. thoughts that are flowing through, when it goes out into the ether or into the world, it's less likely for you to like get all, you know, kind of messed up from it. It's because you're so comfortable with what what you've worked through and, and all of the voices that you've gotten through that when it's out there, it's kind of like, 
that's okay. You know, you, you make, yeah. these, you know, and I think fear is an interesting thing because it's like, I'm a huge person for getting out of my comfort zone, um, all the time. And as, or as much as I can, I moved out to LA when I was 23, I just turned 23, um, with like kind of no plan, kind of allowed the universe to do its thing. And it did. And I ended up in a really great uh, creative community full with people that are, I think, so much more talented than me um, that I look up to. Okay. And, uh, you know, that I that I get inspired by constantly. But that was because I jumped knowing that the net was going to appear before right. it actually did. And I think so many people, they get caught in their head of like the what ifs instead of like trusting themselves. Okay. That's a riff. Uh, so you touched on a few things. You touched on fear relating to voices, like the voices that we carry, the voices that we're kind of projecting onto the outside world, what might happen, and then actual voices and opinions of others. Um, the fear of your own kind of ability, comfort. And then you talked about knowing when the net will appear, meaning in a way I took it as this is sort of how you get over fear, knowing like there is a safety net somewhere. Um, where have you found that safety net in what, in who, in when? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I find that safety net in allowing myself to be present, I think. Mm. And when I, when I sit in being present, I realize the world is truly alive and I'm the only one holding myself back. Mm. So I think when we realize we're kind of the gatekeepers to our own, I guess, destiny or life or how, or day, you know, like on a small level or song or, you know, illustration, it's like when you realize you're the gatekeeper of that, uh, the net, I feel like always kind of appears and understanding that like, when you take the leap and jump into the unknown, whether it's a new thing you're you're doing or something you've done all the time, it's knowing that like that the right word or the right thing will flow in if you stay truly present. I think presence is like for me that's like a number one probably thing I'll be talking about in this, uh, and also not trying to like control. Uh, control things that come through you, like really be present with it and, and then kind of take the step back to analyze. Okay. Um, you talked about the unknown and I, I've been thinking about as I'm developing this book concept and speaking with so many different people about these creative intangibles and how creativity is ultimately venturing into the unknown in many ways. Um, has your experience with creativity and with venturing into the unknown been something that has always been and felt safe or has it been something that you feared that you now feel much safer um venturing into or or where are you at with it and what's been your journey with it that's a question i think i think for me music specifically was always like a safe haven mm -hmm. was a place where i think in my adolescence was an escapism for me, whether it was listening or writing or playing yeah. it. And for me, it always kind of felt like 
this sweet spot, this safe, you know, this safe space uh, to be my most free. Mm. Uh, I think that did change in my teenage years when I started like performing songs out or showing my art to people. Mm -hmm. It became at first extremely intimidating Mm -hmm. uh, because now it was like this thing I felt that was being judged instead of this thing that just like allowed me to feel free. Um, But I think with practice and just kind of learning your own process of what that's like, it now kind of like, I feel like I've kind of had this hero's journey of like coming back full circle where like, I'm so unbelievably like comfortable Mm -hmm. creating the art, sharing the art, just kind of like really living in that because it doesn't mean that whatever I wrote is like how I feel right now, or it doesn't like we are constantly changing. Everything's a firmal, you know, nothing is ever an emotion, a person, a, a place or live, you know, it's everything. Okay. So yeah, I just think like, I feel now the most kind of free and safe that hmm. maybe ever have. For sure. I have a few questions, but I want to dive into this a little more. So what does that look like now? So as someone that is creating, that's watching, that will be watching or reading, like there's this arc for you where you didn't feel, it was your very safe space, then became very intimidating. Now it's kind of returned to form where it's a safe space, but you've grown and you've learned and you're doing different things. Um, what does it look like? How do you, how do you cultivate a safe, creative environment that still produces and still is interesting? You know, it's something that I learned from you, Michael Morgan. <laughs> no, it is, <laughs> is, is being a producer is you, that intense for yeah. uh, the place that you're in. And so touching on also a topic that was on their environment. So curating, I think, your environment and your set of conditions to make you be able to come alive to your mm-hmm. bullet. And I think that that is really activated through your five senses. Um, yeah. it, like for me, I love Palo Santo where I love incense. And when I'm when that's vibing in there, I feel like very at peace. And maybe that morning I listened to like, you know, I love Tame Impala or I love, you know, a certain or Arctic monkey or something from a time that makes me feel really good. And I yep. kind of activate my vibe or if I'm really, really inspired to like, I have an idea that I want to make a certain type of genre song, you know, or a type of maybe go in and listen to like my heroes, you know, like lately I've been listening to a lot of Lincoln Park, like, and then yeah. naturally like this past week, I was like, oh my gosh, this kind of feels like some eerie Chester vibes or like maybe that like piano thing I picked up from listening to my hero and like allowing myself to fully, uh, to fully go there and, and set these conditions, like take the time to do that instead of like, I think for a bit when it became like, this is what I'm doing in life. It got a little scary because I put it on my pedestal instead of being like, I just have to be free. Like I always was as a kid, you know? Um, yeah. By listening to things that I love, by doing things that I love, by also like getting out of my own way and my own thoughts and like mm-hmm. take a hike, go in, you know, go in nature, do something else um, right. and to allow yourself to kind of feel like it is it is just creating something that makes you feel good and would hopefully make make others do the same. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on writing sad music? Because uh, you just said it's about making others feel good. Where does yeah. sad music place into that? You know what's weird? 
or very strange. I, I've always been a little emo girl at heart, like since I was like 12. And I started playing keys around 12 and I started playing really sad music. And I felt this energy where when I would play sad music, I would physically or just like audio would get happier. And I think (laughs) the reason was because I felt less alone. I felt like somebody else went through a sad experience. Somebody else went through struggle took the time to then make a piece of art about it, Mm. they're going to, they're okay. Like they're singing the songs out or maybe they're not okay. And, or maybe that was just that one moment in their life. And, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard songs like many others where it's almost like, was this written for me? Like was somebody hanging out in my room with me all day or in my life all day and like wrote this song because they were. And for me as a creative, my, my drive kind of shifted of like, I want to do that for like as many people as I can and myself, you know? You know, I was talking to someone yesterday about uh, two different topics that you just said. One is about impact. This idea Mm -hmm. that like, we always say impact at scale. Like that's sort of like when we think of impact, it's like scale, it's like more people. But then I was like, I don't really even care about scale as much as depth. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Where are you at with that? What are your thoughts on that? I would agree. I think in the best case scenario, it would be depth. Oh. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like Definitely. A lot of people in a really deep way. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, I, I live like this, like outside of creation or outside of music. Like I want to leave people better than how I found them in every sense of that. Even if I'm having a crappy day, like I really do feel like I, I do try to do that, not necessarily maybe consciously now, but just it's part of like my, my, you know, ritual or my energy or how I interact with people. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's how like, I go. That's like why I, not both? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. I had a question earlier. You talked about setting conditions and you had mentioned the term uh, early on that it became intimidating for you but then you also mentioned judgment from others. So this idea of like the self and other selves at play at the same time in, you know, conversation, quote unquote, um, with each other at the same time, like how has your relationship with other selves changed? Like their perception of you and that affecting the intimidation factor or whatever, like, you know, cause now you're saying I'm in a better place, but right. there's still other people they're still judging or not judging just as much. So how is that? How has that changed? Totally. I think that uh, as people, we have many selves. We have Mm. many selves. We have really great selves. We have really terrible selves. Like there's many. And then there's also different identities in those selves, right? Like I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I'm a girlfriend, I'm a writer, I'm right. I have all these like things. And it's really making peace, like I kind of went into with the fear of like the voice in your head, the selves that you carry. Mm-hmm. So it is there that when it does cross over into people, an audience, you know, a one person that maybe it doesn't matter the amount of people, you're kind of like you're you have a piece in you that kind of no one can make because you made peace with those selves within you. Uh, right. maybe Maybe the self that needs validation, maybe the self 
like fully, I think that is the process is like creating it and, and living with it and sitting with it and being with it and understanding where it's coming from. Maybe speak it up in conversations with, with people that you trust, you know, um, of, of where it came from so that when it does cross over into multiple people, you're like, you know, you're so at peace with it that it doesn't move you. And I think I wasn't doing that at first at all. I was yeah. like placing the value of whatever I was creating on other people as mm-hmm. like streaming or whether it's people saying that I genuinely liked it. And when I let go of that completely mm-hmm. and I just wrote things that were most authentic and things that inspired me the most, that's actually when it came full circle because when I was writing more authentically and I became peace with myself and I had these conversations, it was the world kind of opened up, you know, the world kind of opened up and I stopped being afraid because I was no longer afraid of any self in me, you know? Oh man. Um, so <laughs> there's a podcast I listened to and I'm forgetting his name right now, but he, anytime a guest says something where it's just like super insightful, he has this like explosion emoji, uh, uh, um, <laughs> uh sound and it, like he has clips <laughs> like dropping bombs and it's just like bomb dropped. But I think that is what just happened. I think there's a lot there that I wanted to um, reflect back on because I think if people are joining now or maybe missed some of that, I want to like reiterate. So you very quickly, and I don't even know if this was a Freudian slip or not, but you said myself, like, Mm -hmm. and I love that. Just the idea of myself is like always very singular, but this idea of myself having having meant the shadow self and all of that. Um, I love that. And I'm like, right after this, that's going to be my journaling prompt for today. Just writing to to all of them, addressing the whole uh, board of... Uh, the whole board. The whole board. <laughs> um, then you said this idea of placing creativity's value on other people, which is interesting because ultimately people do need to value the work at some point. But what you're saying is, well, I was actually not allowing myself to value it. I was only allowing others to value it. And I would take that value and then internalize it instead of like having my own. It wasn't even being placed on like the creation. I think it was also being placed on the self, right? And then when you have creation tied to self, mm-hmm. then the affecting mental health and it starts like, you know, one thing after the other, you're kind of in this downward spiral. Instead of mm-hmm. know, like, but I, you know, knowing yourselves, knowing all of the, and not allowing the opinion of others to move you, and and that's way different than like feedback, you know, asking for yeah. genuine feedback from somebody, right. and making those, you know, and, and being open to that, then uh, placing your value as a as a person or as a creator on on others, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, we're definitely going to move into the topic of feedback next, but I wanted to continue summarizing because there's still some great stuff here that I yeah. think can just be repeated on loop. So, um, yeah, well, it's really those two points, but which selves do I hold and placing value um, on overvaluing people's value of the creation instead of your own personal value that you get from it. And then attaching yourself to creation, mm-hmm. uh, your personal value is only based on the creation. Um, sort of this doom loop, uh, I like to call it, where it's just a downward spiral and you don't even realize the connections that are happening at play. You just keep getting burned somehow. Um, I, I love that a lot. Um, 
I was having a conversation. So I'm going to be teaching in two weeks. And I was talking with the VP, thank you, the VP of this uh, organization about, they were saying, uh, you know, a lot of the students have imposter syndrome. They're new to design and they don't feel like they're a designer, um, which is really weird because you could just label yourself anything you want and then you're that, you know? Um, there's no specific credential that you need. But what I was telling her is like, I don't really think we should label it that because that's now, now that's something in a treat. It's very American. I was like, the, the problem is like, they're attaching value to the fact of being a designer as if like that thing is going to save them. And once they're that, once they have this very fixed identity, then they'll be no longer an imposter or no longer feeling bad and stuff ever. So this idea of like linking the self to your work is really fucking dangerous, like Super. incredibly dangerous. And I think that it's not something that's spoken about a lot. Um, yeah, I think that I have been writing and singing literally since I can remember. Like I was one of those or both my parents, you know, were creatives. I was born right in the thick of it. I don't really know a time in my life when I was not writing or playing piano or singing a melody mm -hmm. or doing any of those things. And for me, it was always a one and the same thing where like I I've always been like this um this but little mini, you know, this little artist. Um and I felt like always like I'm I'm a singer, I'm a writer, this is who I am and and really linking my identity to that. And it wasn't until I feel like I was about 18, 19, when I left home and kind of, you know, went for my, the beginning of my journey. And when I did, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like super dope, like without music or without being a creative, creative. And I have all of these other facets to me and I'm valuable. Like if I never sang again, or if I never, you know, and it was actually 18 years old, my right eardrum ruptured. Mm. And. I didn't go to a show. I wasn't listening to loud music. Like it was a freak thing. I was in the College of Music at Florida State University um, on a singing scholarship. And my eardrum literally one morning was the loudest sound and it ruptured. I went to the ER. It was like a crazy what? thing. But it, it did change kind of the course of my life because mm -hmm. in that time, the doctor's like, you can't sing for like three months. You can't like music for like three months. And that's like all I knew up until that point. And at that moment, I had to take an inventory of like, who am I without music? Who am I being a creative person? Or like, what other ways make me great? You know, and like really diving into that. And I would be lying to say that I, I didn't go through a lot of sadness and a lot of emotions in that time because how I lived radically changed overnight. But it did teach me so much. And in retrospect, I wish I could like go back and talk to yourself like, yo, it's going to be way better because um, because you're having this. So I'm sending you a private text about a branding thing. That <laughs> Love that. <bro>. Uh, <laughs> very related. But yeah, um, yeah anyway. No. Um, Another time. <laughs> I love this, but this idea of identity, I mean, that was one of the topics I chose um, because what I love about it is I don't know what anyone's going to say. I was telling someone yesterday, I feel like I'm re-meeting my friends by doing these interviews because we're diving deeper than we ever have. It's all about you. So I'm learning so much. I get to know about your, your ruptured eardrum, 
but also this identity piece and how you overcame it when. Um, but yeah, linking to a title and not to the many selves that we hold. Um, I would even say, actually, linking yourself to one of the selves that you hold is just as bad as linking yourself to a title. Because yeah. usually one of those selves is like the designer me, and then I can't do anything else. It's like, and you see it all the time in our culture. You tell someone like, oh yeah, I'm a, uh, you know, I play drums and guitar. And it's like, wait, what? Like, that's crazy. But it's like, well, no, that's just, that's me. Like, I don't know, you know? And for a moment, I just want to like break on you for a second because no, I look up to you in many ways and I admire you in many ways. And I, I think one of the many reasons is is because you're so multifaceted in so many things creative where it's like, it's not, it's not pigeonholed, like a very Americanized of like, you just play guitar or you're just an illustrator. You're just a graphic designer. It's like, you can be all encompassing and be able to do all of these many creative dope things without being that one thing, you know, and I'm meeting you and, and, you know, part of it was, at, you know, Addison producing Birds for You, the, the music video. Oh, and like on that right. early and, you know, the music, for those of you who don't know, um, Michael Mori had put out an amazing record and one of the songs Birds on it. And it was, was very, you know, amazing. I'm bragging on you for a second. But it did, I remember, I kind of was moving. I was probably out here for like a year in LA. And okay. I remember like, oh my gosh, wait, he does graphics and all this stuff, but then he like also, you know, and being like, wait, kind of in a, in a moment for me and with Addison, he, he does so much right. video and guitar and drum. I mean, he's in like, the school of, of multi-potentiality. <laughs> it's growing up. Oh, yeah. Play faceted multi-potential. And for me, it's inspiring as hell because like, even for me during the pandemic, I picked up bass and I'm like, really yeah. got that. And like, I maybe never identified myself to play something that had strings on it. I was just like, I don't really know if that's for me. Like, I don't know if I'm capable, right? Putting, I, I sing and I write music and I play keys. And like, those are my things, right? And it's yeah. like, who says that? Right. Like, I'm putting that on myself. I'm saying that this is who I am. And then, and, you know, going back to imposter syndrome for a second, just to address it, because it's so big yeah. right now. Um, screw it. I don't even, first of all, I have a love hate relationship, mostly hate relationship with labeling things. I understand labeling things to identify them and to communicate them. But like, if you say I have anxiety, right. Or I am anxious, you are literally declaring that that is what you are. And in Hebrew, the word abracadabra, if you like really don't means I create as I speak. Mm. Okay. So if we are creating as we speak, when you say I am something, right, then you are attaching yourself and creating that reality for yourself in real time. So for me, if I say I am a, a I'm a badass bass player, no, I'm not going to all of a sudden be, you know, like killing right. it. I can step into that, that self that I'm creating for myself yes. yeah, and really do it wholeheartedly and as best as I can without judging myself of not being capable off the rip because that's not what I was doing before this, you know? Definitely. And, you know, it's funny. I, was, I just recorded another full length uh, over the quarantine. It, it's been like kind of on the low. It's not really something I'm sending out to people yet, but it, it's cool. But I was playing bass on it and I've played bass in bands like a majority of my life. And 
Um, I felt like I was good at it. Uh, and then for some reason, like when I was in the studio this time specifically, picking up the bass, I just had no limit at all. I was like, this is just a thing that makes sound. Like it's mm -hmm. not bass. Like it's not, I'm a bassist. Like this is a thing that makes sound. The guitar makes a sound. I make a sound. And I'm just going to play this thing and create a sound for this record that needs low sounds, <laughs> you know, like right, sounds right. that are on a scale that are lower. And like <laughs> when I went in with that frame, also I was pretty stoned when I was thinking this, uh, but when I went in with that state of mind, like I was like, I've listened back and like, I have no idea how I played that. Like I could never logically think of how to play that because I wasn't logically thinking. I was emotionally disconnecting from the fear of uh what does it mean to be a bass player and instead saying like what can this bass provide uh it's more of this abundance mindset and it's it's what can it provide what can it do to support the song support my ideas i love that you just said this because something i remembered that i i did want to bring up in this is playing i have this thing in in what i do is playing your way into flow is something mm -hmm. that i learned to do is really play, like just play, like childlike, you know, like what, why you grabbed an instrument ever, you know, was to play. It wasn't to be this thing. It wasn't to, and maybe, you know, as a kid, you saw someone on TV and you're like, I want to be that. And maybe that originally inspired you, but like playing your way into the flow, the second I, I, like you said, take logic out of it. You're like, I just want to make low frequencies for this and allow your fingers, allow your body, allow your mind to like, really go to those places without limiting beliefs it's like the whole world opens up it's like you're like it does, it does. you know and, and it's exactly what play was it's exactly when we were a kid and you gave someone sand uh and water yeah. like you weren't like thinking anything beyond like oh wow they mixed together and now they like get like solid kind of and then oh i can like shape them like you're kind of just piecing things together and seeing how it went and there was those little sand things that made shapes and you were playing your way into discovery into flow into excellence into maybe discovering you liked architecture as a three-year-old like whatever it may be like the end goal wasn't really clear um but the the work to get there, right. work to get there was just play, was letting go of that and letting your, yourself eventually come to a rational conclusion. But there's so much in the learning process and in the discovery process and in the practicing of the thing that like, you don't need to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yes, you don't need to know. I think that's another thing, like when these creations that you're making sometimes can hold monetary value where mm. uh, you start to shift gears in your life of maybe seeing that it could be that sometimes i think we put it on a pedestal and we make it more dramatic than it needs to be or more like intense than it needs to be like if it's for a client or whatever and something that i actually saw you do with pmcs that i thought was really awesome is you would a lot this time but you would it was just like you did flow it was you would create and set the conditions of where you when you flow and, and not like be like I have to get everything done at this two, you know second right. and like and coming back to it and playing and flowing and 
maybe having a conscious conversation with somebody where you're really inspired and have that going on while you maybe it triggers something, you know, and like really staying in the playful vibe, even though it might be for a client and doing it obviously the best of your ability, like you're not, you know, and not taking away any value. In fact, it's actually adding to the magic because when you go, I think, to that space, that, you know, that flow state, whatever you want to call it, I think that's when we bring back the best art in this reality, you know, yeah. from where go, we come, come back for me. And, and I know definitely for Addison, um, and for those of you who don't know, uh, we're at a band called Rose Colored World together. And uh, I'm like the lyric lady to his melody man in a lot of the ways that we create. And all of a sudden this crazy, weird, cool melody will come out of his brain. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And it's when he stops thinking about it. It's usually when we're going for a walk mm -hmm. or something. And I'm just like, what did you just sing? I'm like, is that a song already? He's like, no, it just came out of me. I'm like, that's really cool. And it's because we just went on a walk. Like we're little kids and we just kind of got out of our own way and, and allowed it to come. And then for me being lyric lady, I will normally sit with a melody or sit with an emotion or a loop or a synth or whatever it is and allow myself to 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 go to those selves what's actually on inside of me or like what am I really trying to like convey N maybe not to others but to myself in that moment or get through and then going to those first thoughts um I had a I had an amazing teacher um named Carrie Evans at Florida State University and it also ties into the story about the eardrum rupturing of how I even got him as a teacher. It's like all connected. Um, but Carrie Evans was somebody that I never felt like I was learning out of a book or I was learning crazy concepts. And he would, he was a poetry teacher and he would relate so many concepts about poetry back to life. Like every time, every time it was like, and it would amaze me like one day, this is just a sidebar for a second. One day we came into class and he told us, so take out a piece of paper or whatever. And he asked us to describe a tree outside for like, oh, and this was the first, I think this was the first day of class. And all, of, and I'm like, this is so weird. It's not like, hi, I'm Ray. I'm from right. here. It wasn't like these normal introductions. I was like, you want me to describe a tree? This is very strange. So I write down everything I could about the street. He makes us read them. And he said that this concept of doing this is to really know yourself because it's not like a conscious being where it is conscious because it's a plant and it holds consciousness, but like not in the way that it communicates like me and you. It's not a person that I'm describing that has its own. So the feelings that I was kind of projecting and reflecting on this inanimate on this tree was really an insight to how we were feeling that day and, and who maybe we are. So as we were reading them, I'm knowing everybody in my class based on what they're describing about this. And it, oh, it's sulking today or didn't get enough sunshine. Like, I'm like, whoa, I really know these people but something else that uh, he really taught me was that our first thoughts right whatever they are when we're going into a creation or a poem or a, our first thoughts hold the most energy is something he would always say and i remember turning in poems sometimes and he would circle the first three lines and x out the rest right. of my fifth and go go back to that yeah like, go back to that because that's like where the, the meat and potatoes is. And then you just kind of left it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a great teacher. And that was inspiring for me. I'm thinking about this afternoon. I'm putting together um, the course curriculum 
Uh, so I have this huge outline, five classes. How do I break it up into sections? What is the first day? And, you know, I have a very sh- clear structure of each day and how it will go. There's kind of recapping the book you have to read. There's an open discussion where I'm going to allow conversations like this to happen. Well, how do we start? What is the first moment of this class? Um, and I had a specific experience where later in life, I learned the kind of learner I was, um, how I like to learn and how I feel like I, um, and I don't, again, it's labels. I don't think there's one way of learning. I think it's, it's multifaceted, but you kind of reach into some more than others. Like just listening, if I were to not take notes right now, like I wouldn't be able to focus. It wouldn't be the best way to learn about you. But writing down and diagramming, like I have lots of diagrams of what you said, more than like just the words, you know? Um, And so when I tapped into that, I was able to learn better. I was able to understand and see the world better. And I can contextualize it for myself to then internalize it and, and, you know, solve problems or talk about things or whatever. So my first question for the class is how do you learn? Like, what kind of learner are you? Um, Here are the ones that you can be. And then where do you sit with that? Because I want to know, you know, if everyone's leaning visual, great. But if there's a few that aren't or whatever, um, finding out how to differentiate the class enough to to address everyone. Um, But yeah, I don't know. That's just been a That's something really amazing because I don't think I figured out how I learned until really my 20s Mm -hmm. where it hit me where I was like, oh, I that's how I obtain information the best, right? That's how I understand. For me, I'm such a words person. It's like if I yeah. read, it, read it or I'm like, like you would be a bit, like if I'm in it, it's like I, I the same thing. With Addison, when we're doing art, it's like for him, he's so visual. And so I'm so polar opposite where he'll show me and I'm like, nope, I got to write it and feel it. Like I got to be in way of getting to that end goal. Um but how cool, because I wish even in college or in high school, even at, probably in high school would have been the best. To get in the, in the, when we obtain information, mm-hmm. hey, like maybe taking a little quiz or a t- like, this is how you probably will learn best or one of mm-hmm. the ways you will learn in a, in an amazing way. Um, and I think that's really great that you're doing that because I think it's going to open people's eyes. Maybe they don't even know you know? Right. They may have never thought about it. And I think that's something that you do often that I've been doing with journaling is like this self-reflection, this introspection. But um, I I feel like more self-reflection of where like understanding yourself better via prompts or via a conversation. But I want to bring that into the classroom because, you know, it's, it's hard to understand yourself and it's really hard to understand yourself in a group where everyone's not interacting with each other, but they're interacting like to the professor typically, and then maybe like to another person. So I want to break down those barriers and the directionality of the class where it's like everyone focused on me and everything I'm saying. Yeah. You like there's a period for that. And then there's a period for openness to understand each other, to build this giant network of people, community, and also like use that to understand self. Then they yeah. can things about you that you don't um and that's where you know good collaboration happens and the, yeah collaboration uh, yeah, also happens by be yeah being open and honest with yourself uh so that others can do the same yeah you know? definitely 
Um, I want to talk about feedback. Mm-hmm. It's to that because I've been thinking, so I'm on this like uh, Slack channel uh, with all the professors and they're talking about kind of what's been happening and like uh, problems in the class. And they said, you know, is anyone doing anything on feedback? I noticed the students like react poorly when it's given. Um, and I've had that situation. I managed a team. I had one designer that would cry every single time even like the slightest chance of feedback coming out of my mouth was like on the horizon. Um, And I realized like, this is not an easy thing to deal with. So I'm wondering for you, like what is your journey with feedback? Um, Where did it start? What did you learn along the way? Where are you at now? Where do you want to be? For me, feedback started at about 15 years old. Uh, my dad is a big mentor for me. He's a drummer and he pretty much helped me curate my taste at a very young age in music, which, you know, being an artist, it's like, that's kind of a huge thing. Um, and every day I, I pretty much really think about that. And I, he really introduced me to like the Rolling Stones and the Doors and like all of the you know, pioneers in music, uh, in, in the rock genre. And when I was, when I was about 15 years old, I started doing gigs by myself. Um, I would play in my hometown at this little cafe called Bizarre Cafe, which was actually really funny because everything in the cafe was for sale, whether it was the chairs or the tables or whatever. That's why it was called Bizarre Cafe. But it was this intimate setting. My dad used to go there all the time. And he became friends with the owner and was like, hey, my daughter sings and plays keys. Like, can, do you think she could try out to play here? And the owner's like, yeah, sure. You know, I go in and she really liked it. And I started playing once a week at this cafe when I was 15 to when I was 18, when I, when I went to college, uh, it gave me a taste of for the first time, really feedback with other people hearing me feedback. Mm -hmm. So with my dad, who I respected so much and had done so many gigs for years, um, and that's where I really honed my craft at, uh, to a degree, right? We're, we're always leveling up. I'm not like always like I, I, I was the best at 18, you know, we're consistently leveling up. But it was the point where like I could sing, I could play this instrument, I could uh, feed the, feed the, feel the crowd and, and kind of do this dance with them and knowing like, oh, you know, I got to play a faster song now because they're feeling it. But going back to feedback, when I would get off of stage, I would, by the way, I was playing three hour shows with just me and my keys uh, at 15 yeah. and do the cover songs and like learning all these progressions, like every week coming in with new song, remembering like, oh, a bartender wanted to hear that, going home and learning it, you know? And like, it was really cool because my dad was so honest with me at that age. It wasn't like, you're so good, sweetie. It was like, you know, that song, you didn't really play right. And, but, but wasn't saying it to me to like hurt my feelings or be this like, you know, like for lack of better words, like a dance mom, you know, was like in your face. It was more like so constructive. And I knew him being dad, he wanted me to be mm. the best that I could be and the best artist that I could be. And it felt like it was coming from that place. And uh, when he would say feedback and, and it was very, very humbling, you know, at that age. And, and I would just, at that space too, I wasn't so in, in ego. It was like, 
I just want to be the best at this thing because like it's so new and it's so fun and like, okay. And then I would take that feedback and I would go hold that week in between and I'd get it better and better and better. You know, I'd like, okay, that's a minor chord instead of a major chord. I didn't land on that right. And like just really, you know, taking what he specifically said um, and and applying it. And And for me, it was a beautiful process then. As I got older, it became a little more tricky because I think that it's very important to send it to a group of people or people, a certain person that you trust, um, trust where their intention is coming from, because we are all living with different lenses in life and going through different lenses. And like someone could have had a shit day and then they listen to that and it's like, it's all right. Right. And it's like, it's important that you're sharing it with people that you fully trust and respect their opinion and, you know, their your highest good in their mind. They're not trying to come at you in any way so that if it's something that maybe I don't particularly love or maybe it's feedback that, like, I thought was going to be different, it doesn't, like, totally screw up my mental because it's like, no, this person is is a, a good person. You know, they're a good person. They're trying, they, mm-hmm. they want to make the art the best that it can be and, and challenge me to be the best that I can be. So I think the source is super important when it comes when it comes to feedback. And I had a great first source, you know, my dad being being so heavily involved in music and as a creator. So uh, let me reflect back because I want to dive in a little deeper on that. So what I was taking away is that your dad was from an early age giving you feedback, but he had had experience performing. So he wasn't like new to what you were doing the idea of what you were doing. He'd been doing that thing. So he had some domain knowledge. He was coming at it, or at least you believed he was coming at it, more importantly, with good intentions. Right. So right. Um, whether or not he even was. you right. right. That's what I believed, I guess, as, you know, and being like, you know, you're at that age where I'm like, this is my dad. Right. Rule. You know, he doesn't have right. problems. He's super, you know, like when he heard it, it, um, it was like, oh, well, this, this has to be, you know, right. And the intention is pure, but sorry, I cut you off. Intentions and experience being a really important factor. When you say it's constructive, I was thinking about that. It's like, I was like, well, what makes feedback constructive? Like ultimately it is unless there's bad intentions and you're being pretending to be constructive, but you're really trying to deconstruct or like it doesn't feel constructive because your you don't trust their intentions um Mm -hmm. i'm wondering like what else about is feedback um you know worked for you like what what was it about um that conversation that where you're where you like wanted to hear it wanted to get it again that's interesting that's an interesting question because i think sometimes you can't necessarily put your finger on it like for example like i feel an alchemy between our bond, right? Where like, I I appreciate and respect your opinion of feedback of whatever I send you. I think it's so situational depending on like the person and the relationship that you fostered with them. Um, my dad just in particular, like since I was singing, which was probably five, really, uh, always pushed me to like be the best me. And so from so long, it was like so instilled that like the, what the intention was, uh, at least I perceived intention was, was like, he wants me to be the best me. 
And I think that the people that I surround myself with or the people that I'm asking for feedback for are also like, they were like, I want you to be the best you. I want, you know, I same thing. And so the, the intention is like, how do we make this art the best, right? How do we make uh, whatever it is? And what is like, that's so, that's interesting, right? The best. It's like, because we all have different opinions of what that is. But from your perspective, how it could improve in a, a certain way. And then you take that, you, uh, you sit with it. And the best part about feedback is you don't have to listen to it. It's not like, it's not like they are the end all be all because you respect someone's opinion. You can have that difference in opinion and it'd be okay, you know? Right. Yeah. I think another point that you mentioned is really uh, how he had the knowledge of you and where you wanted to be and like what you were interested in. So this empathy uh, for you, knowing like, it's not that I could say, I'm saying this in good faith and you believe that, but if I say it and I'm like, yeah, I think this should be more heavy metal. And you're like, well, that's not what we're trying to do. Like, that's still not useful feedback because it doesn't start with empathy. It doesn't start from your lens outwards. It's good. Totally. And also experience too, right? Like mm -hmm. there's, there's people that I'm working with right now that are a, a lot older than me and or, or 10 years older than me or, or five or 30. So for me, when I think about the experience and even learned in six months, if I'm like, someone's got 30 years more than me. Right. I want to take ego completely out of it. I am, I don't know everything at all. I'm always the student and let me be a sponge in this room and absorb the information from these people that have the experience. And, and if I'm asking for feedback from them, really, you know, I'm not saying put it on this pedestal that it's the end all be all, but really take it into consideration of like, they've been doing this thing that I'm doing now for a lot longer. And it probably holds some weight or some value or could. And it's just at least something to be looked at and, and talked about, you know? I posted something about first principles on my story, a really long quote that I think probably three people may have read. Um, it was very long. And for those that like, no, they, they read. Uh, no one responded. So I assume no one read it. But if you did, it was about first principles. It was from Aristotle. It was about him trying to figure out like, what is truth? How do you get as close to the truth as possible? Especially, yeah, <laughs> hard. Um, and, you know, that's something that philosophers will continue to discuss and debate and, and come to terms with. But he was focused on this idea, as many philosophers are, of getting to like the first principles of the issue um, and trying to understand like, what is at the core of what's being said, not what is being said as presented. Um, that's where you can judge intent. That's where you can um, judge the good faith or not. So like what feedback, I think it's interesting what you were talking about in a way you're saying it could have value, meaning when I unpack this, there might be something there that's valuable. Um, mm -hmm. But I think intentionally going at feedback or meeting feedback in the center and saying, let me get to the core of that. Christian read it. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, appreciate you. It doesn't count because he's like co-authoring the book with me and he loves reading. So it like counts. it counts. Christian. I don't know it yet. Yes. <laughs> and like it does, it counts a lot. And then I'm also like, that's like my mom or dad being like, good job. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I just grabbed it off the Wikipedia. So I didn't like read this. And I was reading the Wikipedia on first principles. Oh, I thought you had it completely memorized. Yeah. <laughs> you memorized Aristotle in your free time. That's, like, that's what I, as a professor, I need to now do this. But um, so um, unpacking feedback, like going at it with, I trust that your intentions are good. You need to figure that out first. You need to figure out what their experience is and how it relates to what you're doing. Uh, what is your relationship with them? Probably the first thing you should ask. Um, and then like how much knowledge of you do they hold? Or are they capable of discovering via listening and conversation and things that people are pretty bad at, what I've noticed. So uh, <laughs> then they're presenting this object, this feedback, and then it's like, now you're tasked with unpacking it I think people initially might assume that um, you have to integrate it immediately. I think that like, that's kind of where the conflict is. It's like something said, now we have to integrate that or find a way in instead of like, what does it mean? Like what, let's go below the surface because you might find that first principle um, underneath a lot of words and feedback and suggestions of change this color to that. And it's like, no, you're just bored. Like, this is just boring to you. You know, like, oh, okay, cool. I can do something with that, you know? I think interesting about feedback too that I actually got from Addison was when he asks for feedback from from trusted people, you know, with all those conditions that we just talked about and said, he, it's interesting. It's like he likes to look for some com commonalities between them. So if like we send it to you, but we also send it to Indiana Jones, you know, in wherever he's at. And you both say the same thing. You both yeah. say the exact, oh, know each other. Mm -hmm. And you know us very well. And the intention is from this, you know, this great intention and all of these things, right? It's like, wow, well, this holds some weight. This holds some value. But going back to like looking at it immediately or changing it immediately, I think that's a really big thing because sometimes you hear it, you're like, oh, look, I just, you know, it's like, sit with it. See if you even feel like, yeah. you, does that now meld into your truth? Or are you just doing this because somebody said this to you, even though they're trusted? It's like, what is the, the purpose of the change? You know, do you feel that intuitively? You know, do you feel that within you? Or is it just kind of like, that's what, that's what you just did to do, you know? It's such a responsibility to give feedback. Uh, to ask someone for feedback is really asking uh, a lot of someone um, because of everything we just said, you know, like checking your own intentions in that moment. Where are you at? What it, What is the relationship? Um, how much knowledge do you actually have of them? Do you maybe need more before you can give feedback? People are afraid to ask questions. They're afraid to be like, wait, like, what are you doing on this record? Like they just, oh, they asked me a thing, so I need to say it. Um, this idea of, of feeling like, okay, I'm about to say something to them. All of this should be integrated. You know, like the both ends, it's this very interesting um, duality, I guess, between people of like the, the giver and receiver of this feedback. Um, I just think that's an interesting concept. Also, uh, relating it to feedback, I gave my buddy Jared um, Masters. He sent me uh, a record that he's working on. I was like, hey, I'd love feedback on the record. And I had a train ride that was like an hour and a half. So I had time to listen to the whole thing. And I was like, I don't know what I'm about to hear. Like, I have no idea. Um, put it on. 
And like the whole time I was listening, it was straight feel every note that I took. It was like, where do I stop feeling hooked? Or do I feel, oh, this little cringy or like, oh, that's really interesting. And that's all I gave him was just where my emotions were at each kind of part of the way. So what you're saying is that when you listened to this and gave your feedback, it was all on feel, which, which I would also maybe call intuition, right? Like intuitively, which I know is something that we, we wanted to talk about in lists of like, of, of intuition and, and moving with that. Um, if we actually break down the word intuition from Latin, um, it means from within. So this is, you know, your, your feeling, your, your intuition from, it's coming from within you of what, what your truth is when you hear this. It's not coming anywhere else, but this feeling from within of, of what you intuitively feel. And I think that is like one of the most beautiful places to come from. Um, it's one of the most honest places to come from. It's not like the most honest, I think is moving from, uh, you know, something in my family. It's like, listen to your gut has always been like, listen to, listen to from within what your body is saying and pay attention to that. Um, so if you're doing that and then someone else is doing that, say this record and you're both from within feeling and honestly saying the same thing, it, right. that is something to pay attention to, you know? That's it's it's a journey to go within to then understand what that might look and feel like and how to activate that when you have an hour and a half to to do so. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, like there were some parts where I'm like, I'm writing this from like the most vulnerable place that for me, you know, like I could say things that might like hurt him or like you know, but like I'm like this is my full truth. And before I should preface it, it's really important. I asked him exactly what he wanted mm. do you want to know my favorite song do you want to know like the things i don't like do you want to know like just generally like good or bad record like how much and what kind of feedback are you looking for for me and like right. where are right. you you know like setting the conditions right. or even back right in every because we think feedback is one thing and it's not so it's like if you're asking for feedback, like on what? Like, is it just your vocal? Like the whole record, your vocal on the whole record? Or mm-hmm. you, there's so many things I can give feedback on. And then I also preface it by saying, look, I might not be your audience. So like, I don't know who you want to listen to this record. But if it's like 90 year old women, I'm totally not there. So anything say <laughs> is irrelevant. Like you know, or there might be some technical related things that I could identify. But emotionally, I might not be able to identify with any of them uh, or right. some of them. So, you know, we we worked through it and ultimately it was like, I'm really open to anything. It's, you know, that's how he operates and he's open to feedback. So it's like, all right, I'm going to go with from there we go. And, and like, really, how do I feel as I'm listening to the striker? And um, ironically, the intro was my least favorite part of the whole record. And so my first note was like, I really don't like this. And then I went back to it later and was like, by the way, it gets better. Uh, That's my, that was the first thing I heard. And it just didn't feel like the right start to represent this whole thing. Right. Um, But coming from this, first of all, you said the first part of this whole thing was like, I had an hour and a half of sitting on, like, you knew, okay, I'm going to be in a space where no one's going to interrupt me, where I can listen to this 
uh, very presently where I will be fully engaged in a space that I feel comfortable to be able to dive in and give the right feedback. Before going into it, you ask the right questions. You know, you ask multiple questions of, of uh, how does he feel the most comfortable receiving this feedback? Like there was all of these steps that were taken before you ever wrote even anything down that I think is so important too when, when giving feedback to anybody because you know, as creatives, I think we're all little, we're all a little loony. We're all a little, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all trying to process life and why we're here and all of the things that come with being, you know, the human condition. And so with that, it's like, we're all fragile. We're all going through what, I don't care if you're the toughest, baddest bitch on the planet, like we're all going through things and coming at that with, how do I still be honest, right? But res- totally respect and understand that this person could be going through. And this is also probably coming from the most honest place in them because they took the time to take this thought and this idea and make it to a song. Right. And play it a million times, perfect yeah. it, mix it, not, like the steps that go into it just to get these like little ideas that are in our head out of us or like, you know? So it's like, it's it's a very vulnerable process, you know, in 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 giving feedback for sure. And the other part about feedback, and then I think we can, we can move because I'm sure there's, there's so many other topics that I want to hear yeah. about. The part about positive feedback. Um, I think that we're so often looking to not give negative feedback or like being sensitive and weird about that and how someone might perceive it or how you might receive it. So we're not asking everything we need to know to give effective feedback in general, whether it's positive or negative. But then the positive is like most of the time I see it used as like a padding for bad feedback instead mm-hmm. of its own distinct, beautiful thing. Like when I'm like, oh, like, what do you think about this design? It's like a lot of people go to what should I pick out of this? That's not good. You know what I mean? You know, like what can I add to this work by giving my feedback? You know, it's now a contribution, but it's like also what is the deepest, most positive thing you could find? And how can you say that? Because specificity is key in feedback anyway. So like, I feel like this is like honing intuition. This is listening skills, it's all of it. It's like, how can you give really good, positive feedback? Um, really intentional, really purposeful, good feedback that will actually make them feel good. Not good feedback that just makes them feel less bad because you also gave bad feedback. So like, okay, cool, dopamine hit. All right, now I'm sad, dopamine hit again. Like, you know, but really like, I get where this record is going. I get why you're trying to do this. I see this fully, I hear it. I hear the influences, I hear the history. This is where I'm placing this. I think you honored this or did that well or whatever it may be. Um, I think yeah. that also takes time. And I think a lot of the time that time's devoted towards the thing to change. Um, and to connect it with what you said earlier about valuing people's value of the creation more than the self. It's like now, as soon as people spend all this time saying how they're, you know, this isn't, this part's not good. Now you're like, oh, like, what does that mean? Like, is it, do I suck? No, yeah, it's like, does no. It, do I suck or does it suck? And it can't exist. Right in the society because right. there's thing that you heard that you don't really like. You know, like and it's, it's so many layers, right? Yeah. 
Totally. Is it a showstopper or is it like an idea that you had? And, right. you know, so anyway, big riff on feedback. Uh, happy to be here. This is happy. great. Loving it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read the list again. Okay. Tell me where to go. So uh, we did collaboration. We did environment. We did fear. We did feedback and identity. Uh, so that's the first half. Uh, intention, intuition, limits, mental roadblocks, personal philosophy. I feel like that's been covered in a lot of this and will continue to be. Practice, self-compassion, and self-esteem. I think we should do self-compassion. Cool. <laughs> it sounds fun. So for context, self-compassion is a topic that came from the interview like seven maybe with uh, my buddy Danny Klein. I asked him about self-esteem uh, and his journey with self-esteem. And he said, I've just been reading this book. I've been thinking a lot about self-compassion over self-esteem. Um, being more forgiving of the self. Um, and I've been thinking about that literally every day since. So um, I added it as a topic and I want to hear what your relationship with self-compassion is. Yes. I So at a young age, I, I had another teacher, but in a different way. I had a teacher, I think it was my first grade teacher. So this has been happening since I was <laughs> way, always six, seven told my mom, hey, you have a perfectionist on your hands. And uh, so I knew what per the, probably that was at that age and did attach myself to that label as I moved through life mm -hmm. and did feel in so many ways, like that's to be the certain way and like drove myself crazy for so long. Um, as I got older, I realized, okay, this is, this is a part of me no matter what. And understanding that having compassion for myself of meaning like this doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing this also doesn't I don't have to continue to label myself this and, and attach myself to these behaviors and having compassion for like maybe why that developed in my subconscious or a part of me you know was it nature versus nurture is there other people might was it a learned condition and and having a lot of compassion for where I have come from. Um, I think also when you we talk about self-compassion, I was talking to my dad yesterday, actually, and I was kind of venting and just kind of saying like all the things, like we were just getting into it. And after talking to him, it was like, I got this bird's eye view, uh, like this perspective, like the zoom out of if I think about the last two years, if I think about the last five and like going in those increments of like, I had so much compassion for myself because I'm like, look at how much, you know, look at how much I've grown. Now, I don't want to say look at how much I've done because I don't think at all productivity has to do with worth. Right. But I would say, look at how much I grow, right? Like in all these different ways and all these different parts of life. And even in the last three months to six months, like this growth is outstanding. And if I think about it like that, I have a lot more self-compassion. I have, a, I'm way more gentler with myself. Like, you know, I, I do like, and I have the perfectionism in me, like, and I, I use it as a positive. Like I like to journal and I like to meditate. I like to do my things to set myself up for, for success or what I believe is success, um, to be a calm, clear vessel of allowing communication, uh, communication and creativity to come through. 
But some days I don't get to do those those things or I fail or I, you know, feel maybe lazy or my body is telling me don't don't get out of bed like you feel run down, can't get up at 8 a.m. and work out. Having compassion that that's also part of the process of growth is listening to what your body's telling you. Um, and there's a fine line of like, I think, being lazy or like, you know, giving into like that other voice in your head that's like, don't get out of bed, you know, or and like, you know, having the disciplines and finding that fine line, but having compassion if you don't for a day, it's okay. Like you're, you're all right. Um, having compassion uh, in, in all those different, you know, areas. Mm. You mentioned how much you've done versus how much you've grown this idea of productivity versus compassion, uh, versus, uh, sort of relaxation, um, and kind of balancing that. What has been your journey there with like balancing productivity, growth and getting shit done with like not doing anything, relaxing, slowing down, et cetera. So in my, I would say 22, 23, 24, I was an absolute lunatic. Um, I felt like, and it was very, and this isn't a knock to the culture of like, no one's going to give it, get it for you. You got to do it. You got to go, you know, a 10 exit. Go, go, go. You know, this isn't a knock to that because I think like you have to have your own disciplines and you should go for it and you should work really hard at what you love or what you want to do. But from like 22 to 24, it was like the only thing Mm. I was in this, like, I have to make a song a day. I have to like, I was like crazy, crazy, crazy on that. And I had zero balance. So my mental health totally was slipping. I also had lost someone close to me. So I, at the time I didn't know I was, I was really using that as like the way that I was moving through it, but kind of in an unhealthy way because I wasn't really addressing it. I was just like, how many songs can I make in a month? You know, that I wasn't really uh, balanced, like with my family or friends. It was like, the only thing that mattered was the song and the art. Um, It was like, I was so in there. And that was really at the time that, you know, during like, post eardrum rupture, post finding myself, but you know, being like, there's way more to life than creating things. I, it makes my, it sets my soul on fire and I, and I crave that connection. But, uh, at the end of the day, it's, I have to be able to sit with me. Um, and I have to be able to have that, that the key word really balance. And, and, um, I think everyone expresses balance differently. Balance doesn't mean like, you know, maybe like some, like, for example, balance for me is there's some days I don't really like leaving my room much because I'm working on a song and that I'm so inspired and I'm so into it that like, I don't leave my room much because I wrote and co-produced, you know, with ad like a full song in a day. But then maybe the next day, instead of, uh, beating myself up of like, why can't I make something that was as good as yesterday? Taking the pause and being like, I'm going to go to the beach today or for half of the day or just for the morning, right? And spend nature, spend time with myself, give myself compassion as well to just sit in. And also, I think when we take those moments to have balance, there, there naturally is this reflective uh, thing that happens where if you really do sit with yourself and you're present with yourself, you have reflection of like, 
you know, where you are and that self-awareness of where you are in relativity of like what you're creating, what you're doing, right. uh, your relationships with other people. And so having that radical self-awareness mm. takes time that has nothing to do with you creating. You have to spend time being with yourself. <laughs> you have to spend time being with yourself. And that doesn't mean yourself with the phone. It doesn't mean yourself with um, the TV you're doing. I, I literally mean just when you strip everything away, what is that? Mm. And that perspective and that awareness of where you are in, in your creation, where you are in yourself and, and your mental health. Um, and I'm saying this because I literally went through it and I'm, and I'm still checking myself constantly of like, you know, the art versus like, you want to live still a full, beautiful life while creating things that you're proud of. I think it's a balancing act. I, I thought of this idea that balancing the idea of it is a continuum and it's on a continuum of time. So like your balance today or in this second is different than your balance tomorrow or in another second. So it's a continuum on a continuum, um, which is really weird, but I drew it out. Here's my diagram of it. That's uh, the balance. Okay. Over time. So, nice. and the, the spectrum gets replaced every millisecond. So like some moments, it's not like, are you funny or serious? It's like, you're one of like, you might be both of those things or a combination of those things changing over time. Uh, All right. I like that also. Yeah. This idea of, so all of it, and we've been talking about this with the book, uh, Christian and I, is that a lot of these concepts that we've been talking about that people have mentioned, there is no prescription to it because all of these things exist on as a balance over time, depending mm -hmm. on situations which happen in time, which forces you to recalibrate. So we're trying to write the book in that way where it's acknowledging the fact that there isn't a way, but there's poles, there's a polarity to things and how you navigate them over time really determines the course of your life and, and how things feel. Uh, but you covered a really important one, which is how do you balance relaxation versus getting it done? And that there's really no one way. Um, we're also radically different. Yeah. You, like we're so different, um, which is like why certain foods will agree with me and won't agree with you. You know, it's like right. in, ev in every cell of us, we are so different. Mm -hmm. Even if we are all humans coexisting together. Uh, like, for example, like I said before, like I, I do have like my little routine and ritual for me, like to be to what I feel is my most clear self. I love to get a good sweat or workout in, in the mm -hmm. morning. Right. My mom loves it is is super like she's a very spiritual woman and she has, you know, a deep relationship with God. And for her, she'll pray for like an hour or two, mm -hmm. like discipline, pray, tap into her like. And for her, that's what works for her, right? And like, you know, for someone else, it might be a walk. For someone else, it might be journaling. For somebody else, it might be breathing in the morning. For somebody else, it might be waking up before this, you know? And honoring yourself if like you don't make that happen because life is happening all the time. Things that we can't play, you know, plan for. Um, things that we can't control at all. That is, is a lesson I'm learning, at, you know, and, and allowing and going to self-compassion, like allowing yourself when things come in that you can't control, 
try to control them. <laughs> don't try to control them. Don't try to, um, and don't feel bad that you can't sit with it, honor it. You know, if you can't get the work out in the morning because there's something going on that you can't control, if you can't, you know, write the thing that you decided to, I, I am a firm believer of, um, what's meant for us happens to us. Like I, I do, there's like this balance of like, yes, you can go out and, and kill it. But also, like, there's a certain number of things that just kind of happen and you got to roll with the punches. Uh, you mentioned the word control. I talked to the VP of, of the school about power, this idea of power. People want power, um, but they also don't want to admit that. They don't even want to talk about it. It's kind of looked down upon in some ways because it's been corrupted and power corrupts and all the things that come with it. Um, control is another thing that like, again, it's, it's a balance. There are things that you want to control that you probably should like diet and exercise, but you don't want to control individuals' behaviors, you know? Right. Individuals' individual behavior. Um, what has been your relationship with control as it relates to the creative process? Yeah, I think that that's a really great question. I think that relating it to the creative process would be, especially when you're collaborating with others, like you're not the only, you're not the only person in the boat, right? There are right. other people and they all have their own things. Really, like we were saying before, staying in that flow state, staying in that childlike, staying in like, it doesn't have to be this one way. Um, and you don't have to steer the ship alone and you don't have to necessarily lead all the time. Like I think fully letting go and just allowing whatever is to be what it is, um, as you're creating. Um, and then later when you have like, and that could be in 10 minutes or that could be in an hour, that could be days later, then you can, I think, go back in and make adjustments, but not to try, like, I don't think we should try to kind of control anything. We should just try to be stay present with what makes us feel alive in that moment. And when we do, that's when the magic happens. But we, we, it's hard to get out of, I, I call it getting out of your own way of, of what you think in that, in that moment it should be like, don't, try, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's an interesting thing when you're in real time yeah. and maybe feel passionate about a chord and then somebody else in the room doesn't yeah. feel passionate about a chord. And kind of for me, there's a balance between like getting a point of across in the collaboration and stuff, but then also like being like, I'm going to let go of the ship, the ship and let like whatever mm -hmm. is supposed to be, be. And if I don't like the way the ship, we're then speaking up and having that conversation, you know? That's what you mentioned before about um, the safety net, like knowing that the net will appear even if it's not there at the moment, even if it's turbulent or whatever, that you'll get to a point in good collaboration with good faith in the process to the place you need to be. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. Uh, what? Limits? I was one if you want. What was that? I said you could pick one if you want. Let's talk about limits. It's kind of... Um, Kind of the last topic we have here. Wow, we killed it. And then we're not done, don't worry. But there's another segment we'll get into. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about creative limits. Let's do it. Go nuts. Okay, and here we go. What, what 
mind when I said the word, it's like, what was the instinctual in, intuited thought when I said limits? Was that there are none. No limits. The limit does not exist. If you've seen Mean Girls, you would know. She said, Lindsay Lohan goes, the limit does not exist. She's like in the math lead. Anyway, I wholly stand by that though, that um, the, it's only what you put on yourself. Mm. When we were talking about labels and things like that, um, it's whatever you say that your limit is. I think that, um, yeah, I think that when it comes to like being able to create the, the the limits are whatever that you you put on yourself to do. Obviously, in in if I'm backing up, it's like when you go to like quality of something. Like for example, um, I would love in a perfect world, which I'm going to upgrade soon, to have like a tube mic for me recording and be accessible. Right. So for me, I have I do have a limit when it comes to technology of like maybe I can only get to a certain quality, and I wish that maybe I could get to this. Right. But knowing there are microphones out there that I could use to do that. And that's what I'm saying is like maybe financially or maybe because of, um, you know, other things going on in my life that wasn't a priority. But I do think when it comes to like creating and like where your mind can go, like, for example, this is exactly what me and you got to experience uh, this year was we were walking downtown and I saw a wheat paste wall with band posters. And I was like, I would love for my music video for, for Rose Color World, for us to be playing in front of a wheat paste wall. And you go, we could make that. Yeah. And, well, yeah, we can make, like the limit does not exist. Like, and was it challenging? Did it take four times longer than me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was insane. Let me just say everybody, me and Michael Morgan and Addison Scott in Home Depot is absolute chaos. We have no business being there. No, there was being there. We didn't know what was going on. We were trying to chop lumber, um, and drywall. But anyway, I don't know if anyone there has this. Like the people that work there, they're they don't even want to be there. <laughs> we were there for hours. Uh, but there was anyway. a guy who was very helpful, and he yeah. tried to show us how to cut the styrofoam, and then broke it completely in half. Okay. Never. Okay, I was. Oh, we're not going to get that as materials. <laughs> um. But what I'm saying is we didn't have any limits on ourselves. Yeah. We were like, build this thing. We're going to build this thing. It was an, it was a fleeting thought in the moment, being present, being fully alive, communicating something that I wanted to create and you being like, we could do it. Setting a date, setting the condition mm -hmm. and willing to like kind of whatever it took, whether it was making brackets out of cardboard and screws that we found in my garage. Yeah. Uh, making it happen right you know so for you it's more about an exploration in pushing past the perception of limits mm -hmm. uh, actually i gotta reference my notes but this idea of pushing past the perception of limits versus the actual limits that you have i was talking right. with right here yeah there's like skill-based limits there's like imposed limits that there's limitations that you're intentionally putting putting on uh, to kind of limit the scope of something. Right, right. Any thoughts on if, different? If we, talk, if we talk about the limits of, you know, for me, I, I was looking at limits intuitively when you brought it up of like, because I, 
I'm very like, I think it might be Walt Disney saying this, but like, if you could think it, you could do it kind of thing. I've always been that, that kid that's like, you know, if I could think it or if I could dream it, then I'm, I, there's a possibility in an avenue and it might not be on the highest level at the craziest way in the best way, but like it could get achieved. Mm-hmm. And maybe with that, then being able to level it up, you know, like for example, even the EP that me and Addison have been working on, everything was done in our, in our room mm-hmm. until we linked the two. And then hi, John Graber, thank you mm-hmm. so much for being also amazing and instrumental in this, you introducing us to him. And then be able to be at the studio to record drums, right? And it's like, we didn't have that studio capability before that. We didn't know we were going to be able to do that. Right. And now we're through next, you know, and taking yeah. it to, to in, in a proper studio. So it's like all these phases of like, you know, I didn't, I didn't let any limitation hold me back of like, well, I'm only recording this in my room. You know, what quality could that be? It was like, no, I'm going to make this thing. It's going to be awesome because I'm saying it's going to be awesome and I'm going to make it the best I possibly can and allowing it to then level up, you know, organically. Mm. So it's like this idea of limiting what you give to a project versus limiting what you could possibly do. Uh, right. You're saying like, don't limit what you give. Give everything yeah. you possibly can, even if technologically you're limited or whatever, or even genre-based, you're limited. How do you think about that as a songwriter? Like, where does where do limits come in with songwriting? Mm. Well, I think it's interesting. You brought up a, a point from a previous, I think, conversation of like, sometimes you want to set limits in like what you're like for a genre, right? Like if I'm writing a country song, <laughs> which by the way, I don't think I have in 10 years, but if if I was writing a country song versus I'm writing a punk record, the I want some some type of limitations because from word choice to arrangement to instrumentation to the amps and plugins and I, I mean everything, I don't want to say it's going to be different because it's still a song and it still has chords and it still has words and it has these components, but the way in which that I would arrange them. Um, and the choices that I would make, I would have to have some limitations going in, you know, some limits going in of like, well, I want it to be, you know, the in in this type of a, a vibe. And so certain things couldn't exist to create that, you know, song or genre. In terms of like innovation, I almost see innovation as like the thing that brings you out of that limit. Like where do you, do you find yourself getting like acknowledging maybe when you've imposed too many limits on on a creative project. Like, is there a real moment where you're like, oh, wait, I may have limited like my belief of it to a certain thing and then have to like recalibrate and ex- expand it outwards? Yeah, that's part of the process, you know, is like is consistently uh, checking yourself and the conditions that you set and or that they are pushing the the art forward and not uh, limiting it, not making it not as good as it could be because you said this thing or you set this one condition. Um, you know, I think at first, even with the record that we're making, it was like, for me, I was like, I want drums, bass, guitar. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, I want drums. Like, that's kind of not... And, and at first, it was good to limit it because then it was like, these are the songs, right? This is mm-hmm. the songs... If I was to play it right now in my garage with some players and we were to jam out, sick, we would get a, a great song. But then being like, well, I don't, I, I want to add in innovation in the aspect of like, I don't want it to be the same thing that somebody else maybe has done. Like, maybe I could add a cool synth. 
maybe I could, add, you know, and, and, and then taking off those limitations to see how far it could actually and what it could grow into mm. uh, instead of just maybe what I put on it to just start getting the ball rolling. Right. And then, you know, keep continuously zooming out of it, the micro and macro and just like going back and forth in between that of what I'm creating and be like, and also consistently being inspired by other things. I think you, you brought up, not in this conversation, but in another one of that me and you have had of like how taste is so important, mm. you know, and continuously making sure your palate has uh, different things moving through it so that you kind of don't stay stuck. And I think that helps innovation is like get inspired by either your peers or other people that, and they might not even be in the same genre. I think it's just like, just be be open to what what life and and sounds that you're hearing and and you know like even if it's Kanye West record that you're showing me in your car like that's super different than pop punk you know but there might be a sub or something where that ins- and I'm like oh actually it'd be cool for a hook if we actually put a sub and you know like mm-hmm. you never know what could inspire innovation um so I think it's just a delicate balance because you still want to achieve maybe like the genre or idea that you originally had, but not limiting like what could come through to make it new or unique or different. Right. And I, I also wrote limits encourage creativity. Like they encourage uh, the, the finishing, I should say, of a project. Like they are an imposing function on the work getting done. So they do have a really, they serve a really important function, whether that's a time limit or like a EP size limit. Or there's mm. songs we're doing in vinyl. It used to actually be like a very specific limit of time, um, or genre, or players on it, or instruments, or whatever. Like it kind of encourages things to get finished, and that's very important uh, for sure. And so I think, in a way, it's connected to what we we're talking about about getting shit done versus kind of taking it slow. You know, if you're imposing that onto your creative process, then like the it's a good limit to get shit done, but it comes at a cost when you're in that mode. Um, but at the same time, it's, it gets shit done. So that's very important. Yeah. It's finding, like you said, that balance of like, I like, I'm, I'm a planner. I like to like, you know, have and be like, I remember. So January 2nd of this year, me and Addison sat in our backyard and I was like, listen, we got it this thing we got to make this ep and like and i remember being like how many songs do we want to have done and like by what date like what do we feel and obviously having like we said self-compassion and what life happens and things can shift but like what are it's it's identifying goals right so i think in that way it's like identifying goals of like what the hell are you trying to do what are we doing here right and then dancing in that space and allowing yourself to have the ups and the downs and the things but like here's Here's like what we're trying to, these are the goals. Um, this is maybe the amount of songs. This is maybe the genre or vibe of them. And then taking off the limits of like, what then can we like create given the set of conditions of what we want it at this state. And this is kind of our timeline and these are our goals. And this is, you know, where we see us headed and allowing that to, you know, to dance in that and have fun in that space. Um, I just wrote that feedback, to give good feedback in a way, it is about identifying the limits that that creative has set up. 
Yeah, totally. Um, I never thought about that before. So thank you. Um, yeah. Like if you're giving feedback, it's like, well, where are you open here? You know, and where are, what are the limits? Why are they there? Should they be there is, is an important question, but also like, are you not budging on genre? If you send me a record, I'm like, I don't think it should be pop punk. Is that a limit that is off the table? You know what I mean? You know, totally. And like, you know, a limit, I guess that Addison and I had going into this was like, during the pandemic, we were listening to some of our musical heroes. And we actually realized during that time, a lot of them were similar. And they were conversations that we never had as deep as we did. And when we went there and we realized, wait, there's some artists here that are commonalities that were key components to inspiring us to to want to create more and in this genre, right. you know, and finding that and having those conversations. And when we did, it was like, yeah, we were we kind of like zeroed in on like, this could be the sound. So yeah, if I if then I was sending it to you, or if I was sending it to somebody, I would I would hope or I would tell them this is, hey, I'm sending you a pop punk record that we're working on. So that you know if you're like, why isn't this like why doesn't this have, you know, uh like really cl- like a clean, glossy sound. Why does it? And it's like, well, it's not supposed to be that. So if you give me like, I want it glossier, I'm going to say like, well, that wasn't, that's not the vibe of what I'm trying to do. Right. And so how I, you know, how feedback would be said. So. Love it. Love it. Um, okay. So there's two more questions. One okay. If you're writing a book for yourself now, 10 years ago, what would you, or rather, I forgot how I wanted to frame this. If you're writing a book for your past self, yourself maybe five years ago, what would you have written and included in that book? I'd say first and foremost, enjoy the present moment because you only get this time once. Mm-hmm. I'd say number two, create as much as you can while still enjoying the pr- the present moment. I would say um, the experiences that you're having now might not make sense, but they will help shape you into the person and artist that you will transform into. All right. I, I, that was the right answer. <laughs> um, and the last question I have is, uh, what questions do you have for me? I've been doing this for a while. I've been talking to you're the 18th person, I believe. 17th person. Pretty cool. Um, My four seventeen, so it's like here we are. Or okay. Um, it's perfect. So, do you have any questions about what we're doing, the book, the the field, my life, or anything? Anything you want to ask? I just want to leave it open for you. Ellen, it's kind of less of a question. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe we'll turn into a question in a moment. Yeah. But the statement is, I remember sitting in um, my backyard not that long ago, 
and having a beautiful conversation about you wanting to potentially write this book and us having an amazing conversation and me being like, yeah, you like look like an author. You are an author. You're so great. Like, what? of, of course this is like, and that number one, I'm so proud of you doing this. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be able to uh, read this and understand creativity in a way that maybe they never looked at it before. I can't wait to read it. Um, and I can't wait to see what else it inspires in your life because it's just like, it's cool to, to, you know, to see somebody like you have a conversation about a maybe and then like immediately kind of turn it into action. And like, that's even like with design, with so many things in your life. Like, I just think it's, it's definitely very inspiring to watch. And it's something that like, I think pushes me forward with, with the bond and relationship that we have of like, you know, like, even when I said I wanted to build the wall, you're like, okay, what are you free this date? Yeah. Okay. These are three days. Yeah. For me, it was, it was like, if we talk about, you know, holding ourselves back or, you know, the things that we tell ourselves or whatever, like you're just someone where it's like anything is possible. Mm. And I, I don't even think that maybe you see it and it's just really beautiful. So thank you. I want to just say for inspiring me and thank you for allowing me to have this conversation in a live platform on here. I think the only question that I have for you is what has been your favorite part about having these conversations about creativity thus far? What has been the absolute, like your biggest joy from it? Yeah. Um, well, first I wanted to say thank you for that. That was really nice and kind. Um, it's, I've been saying this a lot that other people help you see parts of yourself that you don't see. Um, it's one really important function of relationships, friends, collaborators, all the things. Um, it's kind of, they help you break past those limits that you didn't know you had. That's the scariest ones, the, the more potentially dangerous ones, right? Um, so thank you for that. I do, I really do appreciate it. Um, and I wanted to send love your way as well and say that it has been an absolute pleasure knowing you this whole time. I mean, pretty much from day one, we were, and especially when I knew I was moving out to LA, like we talked like yeah. every second. I was so nervous. You were so encouraging. I was like, uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're someone that is, feels pretty uh, limitless. Um, and you know, you are process oriented, but not like upheld to a process in a way that uh, distracts or deters or takes away any bit from the creative process. Uh, it's been really awesome seeing you grow into this creative in endeavor and becoming the producer that I feel like is within you and and you embody many of those traits. So um, yeah, it's been great. And then uh, all that, and then the person you are in general, like someone that is always willing to take the time to listen, to reflect, to preach, to give that insight. Uh, bombs. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it very much. And uh, happy to have you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, I well, hope to see you soon. I, your other question. Okay, okay, okay. Um, what is my favorite part of doing this? My favorite part of doing this is this part where I can express my gratitude for other people, um, mm -hmm. where I can hear where 
not just other people. I mean, everyone on this list I've interacted with before, I've collaborated with before, hung out with before, I consider a friend. So like, it's not random people or celebrity or something that I'm pulling that I have like a very loose connection with or none at all. It's people that I really care about that I see their creative process. I see what they're going through. I see um, where they struggle with, where they thrive. And so the questions are all pointed for them. Um, and because of that, I get to re-meet my friends uh, in a way that we don't really have the opportunity uh, most of the time to do. It is a little performative. It's live. People are watching it. But I think that just forces even more focus and um, keeping things interesting. But really, people are interested by hearing about people. And so diving in deeper um, for other people and myself has allowed me to get to kind of re-beat, understand, and uh, really just appreciate and love my friends even more. So I think that's been the best part for sure. And then um, also just what I've learned about creativity through this process. Uh, it's meta because I'm collaborating with someone in this creative process. So our process reflects what we're learning as we listen to all of these and discuss it after every call, like how did it go? What do we think and what do we take away? And uh, Christian and I will just have a talk for like an hour and a half about what we got from the talk wasn't fully related or not. And that um, just shows kind of how important individuals are. People that they're not the biggest celebrity ever. It doesn't matter. Like they, they're, they're opening themselves up to people publicly. The people that fully listen and take something away from it, I mean, it shows the effect that one person could have on another. Um, and I'm seeing that every week. So uh, that's been really, really excellent. So thank you so much for being one of those many people that has had an impact on my life and, and the people that are watching. And um, I will talk to you soon. Yes, thank you for having me. Final bomb drop. <laughs> So epic. All right. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Adios. Bye.